This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash MySavings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on Metrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. 
Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. For another episode of Film Study, today we're going to talk about the 2019 Ravens wide receiver core with Frank Platko who is an editor at Baltimore Beatdown. Frank, how you doing? I'm good. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, any time, Frank. I uh, saw your writing and thought this would be a good match. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you got started at Beatdown and, and uh, when you did that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, coming up on about two years at Baltimore Beatdown now, I've been a Ravens fan for my entire uh, sports life, uh, sports fandom. And yeah, I What's started your earliest off- Ravens memory? Earliest Ravens memory. This will frame things up for the elderly among us. Yeah, that's tough because I mean, obviously, I'm not not as older, not as old as uh, some of the Ravens fandom. But um, my first memory was probably just like over over blanket statement, just the Steve McNair days, really, because that was when I really first started watching um, not just football, but the Ravens specifically, and just uh, just the Steve McNair days. Um, then obviously Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, those were my heroes growing up on and off the field. And um, I really became like really in-depth interested in the playoff after the playoff loss to the Patriots. Obviously not a good memory, but um, yeah, that that's really when I uh, when I started paying attention. Okay, so two losses. The, you're talking about the 2011 loss to the Patriots or the 14 loss? Right, the uh, the uh, Billy Condiff Lee Evans yes. loss. There you go. That that was horrible. Yeah, All right, I hate to Frank. bring that up, but <laughs> you just we just like there's a dog died. Now we're going to get to the comedy routine here. Yep. Go ahead and go ahead and uh, and take us through the receivers and let's go in your order here uh, in terms of talking about the Ravens receivers in 2019. I think we probably also have some insights that go beyond the numbers here, but introduce it the way you'd like to. Yeah. So basically, I've been doing a um, a season review or season performance review slash report card. Um, several articles just going through the different positions on the roster for Baltimore beatdown, obviously. So I started off the pass catcher um, segment with talking about Marquise Brown, obviously the headline name from the receiver position. And basically where I came at it was I gave him, I dished out grades um, for every player based on their performance throughout the entire season. And I gave him, I was teetering between B and B plus. Um, and basically, I came at it from, on the surface, his numbers, they may not scream that he had a, a great year, but there's also a lot of context, um, you know, that went into his final stat line because we obviously saw, starting in week one and then at different points throughout the season, that he has the potential to be a bona fide number one receiver. But obviously, he wasn't playing at 100%, and his role kind of fluctuated and Game flow kind of went against him at times, but if you look at how opposing defenses played him throughout the year and the way he was able to stretch the field and open things up for players around him, I think that's really that kind of thing doesn't show up in the box score, but it's obviously really important. So, and as we saw against the Titans in the playoffs, he really had a, a fantastic performance the one handed catch, 126 receiving yards. So, I think with the full offseason. Um, where he's not just recovering from surgery, where he really can train and hone in on his craft. I think the future is really bright. Um, 
for Hollywood. All right. Yeah, I, I mean, I liked his first season in a lot of ways. He had over 35% of his receiving yards in that first two-week period. Right. So, uh, you know, a lot of what came after that was a function of a number of things. But I'm going to start with he was not really much in terms of a downfield blocker for the Ravens, which is a lot of what they use wide receivers for. Mm-hmm. So Boykin got more snaps than would be indicated by his targets because they really appreciated what he could bring as a run run blocker. But Brown, obviously that's not his strength. In fact, he doesn't even really like to get tackled, which is, which is probably the right call from what his current injury status is. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, you know, a, a guy who, clearly has shown some flashes of high-end speed, the ability to take the top off a of defense. I think you, you accurately um, have focused on some of his ability to affect other people's ability to create space, whether that's Andrews or Boykin, if they're both lined up on the same spot. So I liked a lot of what Brown uh, did this year and uh, you know would, would probably come tag him with a similar grade. Statistically, I've got one kind of beef is that he really only averaged about eight yards per target for the year, 584 on 71, slightly over eight. If you put that in the context of Ravens rookies, it's quite good. But the Ravens obviously haven't had a bunch of good rookie receivers. Right. If you put it in the context of uh, receivers, you know, that are number ones in the league, it's not very good at all. And, mm. and he uh, uh, Andrews, for instance, last year as a rookie tight end was at 11.04, which was the, the all time Ravens record. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's an interesting point you brought up. And what, what kind of stood out to me is his yards um, per catch was only 12.7. And that's a little not glaring, so to speak. But for a player like Brown, who's you know known as a bona fide deep threat, you would expect that to be higher. But, I mean, if you look at some of the games he had throughout the year, he had some really low receiving yardage games. And I know against the Bills, he actually had negative three receiving yards after uh, he caught the screen pass from Jackson and it went for like negative five or six yards, I want to say, which brought his yardage down for the game. But I think that's going to wind up being an outlier in terms of where his career is going to go over the next few years because I do expect him to kind of be more unlocked down the field like we saw against the Titans game. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. The, the You said 8.0. Was that the number? Slightly over eight. It's, it's probably 8.2 or something. It's, I, I'm, I'm not looking at that number currently. Right. Uh, but uh, do, 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 do. we had 584 on 71. Uh, mm. It would be 568 would be eight exactly, 16 more. So it looks like it's uh, 8.2. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I wasn't aware of that statistic. But, uh, yeah, and I, I know you mentioned, um, I mean, how it's interesting to think how many yards, probably not that many, did he leave on the field where he kind of just tackled himself, you know, because we saw a lot of times where, he'd be running and he'd just immediately go out of bounds or he would fall down to avoid contact. So that's also something to watch going forward too. I mean, if he's doing it to avoid injury, which is part of what I think was going on there, then I don't think you can credit him with additional yardage on that play. That's, that's a function of who he is. It's kind of like Lamar, Lamar Jackson going out of bounds. You just can't give him the additional yards that he might've had if he'd have toughed it out and uh, but anyway, uh, I think we agree. Solid, solid season from Brown. Big swing for the Ravens. It was a high percentage of their draft capital, about 60% in that number one pick, particularly because they did not have a number two pick in 2019. Mm-hmm. And I think the draft in general worked out well for them, you know, getting Jalen Ferguson and Boykin later on uh, and Powers, for that matter, who I think is still going to be good. But it's a uh, it was a very big swing at receiver in DaCosta's first draft pick. 
Yeah, it definitely was. And I mean, based on everything we saw throughout the season and what we can project going forward, it's hard not to say that. I mean, obviously it's early. It's only been a season, but it's hard not to say that that was the correct pick um, based on where they were picking or and that they were able to trade back and still get him. But at the very least, it's definitely something to be excited about. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because they did trade back from 22 to 25. And DaCosta had to look at the board at that point and realize none of the next three teams were going to take Marquise Brown. So they were going to get him at 25. And to extract additional value out of that trade was outstanding. Mm. And I don't remember exactly what they used it on, whether that, that pick ended up going for a particular player or being used to move back up for Boykin. But whatever the case, to extract additional value from moving down to 22 to 25, great move by DaCosta. Very much... Uh, uh, what we expect from him on draft day. Yep, that, that's the name of the game. That was the, the Aussie way, and, and the Kyle is doing the same thing. All righty. So who do you want to talk about next? Um, I guess we can talk about uh, Sneed. He was the second player I mentioned in the article, but uh, he's definitely, I guess, the other headliner name here. All right. What do you got to say? Um, yeah, so Sneed was an interesting case because if you just look at his numbers across the board, they were basically, with the exception of touchdown receptions, basically his numbers were just slashed in half. Um, receptions, targets, yardage, all of that basically down 50% from where he was last season, his first season in Baltimore. And I don't think the numbers necessarily tell the whole story, but he was kind of fizzled out in a way in the offense, with the exception of a three-game stretch, I believe, earlier in the season, um, against the Browns, Chiefs, and the other name, the other team is slipping my mind, but that that was his productive stretch there, um, where he had between, I want to say, like 47 to 60 receiving yards in three straight games. Pittsburgh. Right, that was it, thank you. But other than that, he was basically just kind of a non-factor, really just a few short yardage catches here and there. Although I did, like I mentioned, he did have five touchdown receptions, but Snee's value goes beyond the box score in a just like I said about Brown, but more so because of his downfield blocking ability. Uh, whereas Hollywood, like you said, doesn't block really at all. It's not what he does. Snead is definitely really good at that. And he's hard-nosed, he's tough and gritty, and he's not afraid to block opposing defenders in open space. And I think that at least somewhat significantly contributed to the team's rushing success. Wouldn't you say so? Yeah, I, I would. I mean, he's he's really built like a safety. He's 5'11", 205. So it's not a big receiver in terms of height. But 205 pounds is a lot for a 5'11 receiver. You would normally figure out with a more elfin build, you know, you, if, he, if he was more of a speed guy, he'd be at 185 maybe at that, maybe even slightly less. And, uh, and he's built a lot more thickly than that. So, uh, you know, kind of like a running back. Some of that probably helps him in terms of after the catch. Uh, he wasn't a great yards per target guy. Again, uh, you know, he was at 7.4 this year in terms of yards per target. So not quite as good as Brown. You mentioned the, the yardage things. His catch percentage is right in line with Jackson's overall completion percentage. So not, nothing extremely special for a possession receiver. But I think if, if you pointed to something – it would be the ability to convert third downs to be in the right place on third and fourth down to to uh, make catches and the downfield blocking. Yeah, and that's those are obviously all good points. Um, and his number really wasn't called that much throughout the season, but when he did get the ball thrown to him, like you mentioned, his catch rate, four to six targets, and he caught 31 of them. So when he did get the ball thrown to him, more often than not, he was able to come down with it. Um, it's just a matter of, 
those targets and usage didn't really amount to much in terms of yardage. But for Sneed, who he is as a player, you wouldn't really expect that anyways. But I had a hard time giving him anything better than a C-plus for a grade, just all things considered. And it might seem a little harsh, but I feel like, in my, from my perspective, I feel like that's, that's fair. Yeah, that's, I think that's about right. I think that's where he fits in. Uh, you know, he's, he's not a special receiver, certainly, at 61% of the snaps to do the things he did. He's a player, and the Ravens don't do this very often, but they will typically use their motion on a tight end or on Ricard, if you want to call him a tight end, fullback, whatever. But it's, right. it's one of those guys who's typically in motion. But the one receiver they used in motion a fair amount was Snead because they knew he, they could get him into a spot where either he could slip somebody and make a short catch or contribute to a block uh, in the middle of that line. So uh, they did a good amount of uh, did a good amount of that. So, uh, I, you know, it's not like he doesn't have positives. It's not like I'm unhappy that he's signed for next year. I'm just, it's, he's not a player I'm excited about at this point. Yeah, he's just, he's not flashy. He, he's exactly who he is and who he has been for almost his entire career now which is fine because he does bring some positive attributes to the table. And the fact that the Ravens are going to have him at least for another year is, is a positive thing, all things considered. All right. So let's move on. Uh, Miles Boykin, I assume, is next? Uh, yeah, we can go with Boykin. I had Seth Roberts in there as well, but we can actually save him for after. Call it out, Ben. What do you, what do you see in Boykin? Yeah, so Boykin, another interesting player because obviously in the offseason, uh, throughout OTAs and training camp, he really flashed a lot of positive skills and the hype train started to pick up steam really fast. And I think heading into the season, a lot of fans expected his performance in training camp and OTAs, like I mentioned, to translate into on-field production throughout the regular season. And obviously that didn't end up happening. Um at least not to the extent that many expected. But it's important to remember that Boykin was raw coming out of Notre Dame. I know the Ravens were able to trade up and get him um, in the third round, if I'm not mistaken. But there was a reason that he slipped a little. And obviously a gifted athlete, freakish athlete, if you will. But he definitely needs some more development in terms of route running, creating separation, and just being more consistent overall. And... His numbers for the year, 13 receptions, 198 yards, three touchdowns. Not great by any standard, but considering he was only targeted 22 times, I still think there's some untapped potential there, and there's a reason to be excited about Boykin's future. Um, maybe not necessarily next year, but moving forward as a number two, three, or four receiver, I still think he's going to be a good fit in this offense. Yeah, I think he's a tremendous fit. He, he played 38% of the snaps this year. Uh, 9.0 yards per target is quite good at receiver. So he's, he's, a, he's ahead of Brown and he's ahead of Snead in that regard. So despite the fact that he, he wasn't targeted very much, obviously, uh, he, did a good, he did well on the targets that he had. Uh, that would come down a little bit if he included the Tennessee game, by the way, where he was targeted seven times for just 26 yards in the playoffs. So that's just his regular season total. Right. I love him as a downfield blocker. I love what he brings to the offense there. We saw that on a lot of Lamar's runs, that he had some ability to extend those. And when you have a quarterback who is so frequently getting into level two and even level three, having a having a receiver out there who can block is just always going to be a big bonus. So I would think going forward, you know, players like Roberts would pretty much have to take a back seat to a player like Boykin 
if he can do anything to improve his receiving skills this offseason. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing we talked about with Snead in terms of the downfield blocking. And one play in particular uh, stands out to me in my memory is against the Texans uh, on Gus Edwards' long touchdown run. Boykin flat out destroyed um, a defensive back on Houston. It slipped my mind exactly who it was, but I was in person watching that, and that stood out entirely. And he did that on numerous occasions where if he gets in the second level, it's he he's a good matchup against any defensive back or, or whoever it may be. Um, he's able to win those one-on-one blocking battles, which is important. And coming out of the draft, many considered him to be one of, if not the best blocking receiver um, in the draft class. So I think that's obviously part of the reason why the Ravens were interested in getting him. Because in addition to his potential as a receiver, obviously, his blocking definitely fits well with one they with what they uh, wanted to do offensively. Yeah, there's there's something specific he does as a blocker that I really love. But he's not. I, I see this in linemen often, in particular when they're trying to get out in front of a screen pass. Is they get lungy, as I call it. They'll they'll try and lunge into a block rather than just be patient and allow the block to come from them. Because the most important thing they have is a big body, a much bigger body, usually the guy they're blocking. And all they do is need to do is maintain that position in order to make sure, relative position, I said, in, in order to make sure that their their uh, charge cannot get by and make the tackle. Well, Boykin realizes that better. And obviously he's got the speed to maintain that position better. So he can just keep his hand out, sometimes on the other player, sometimes not and then maintain that that connection and be able to maintain a block effectively without actually leaning into somebody. So I've, I've liked that about him. He's obviously got a very good understanding, whether that's something that came from the Ravens or it came when he was at Notre Dame. He's, he's got a good understanding of how to block downfield that, that, that it's going to last. It's not, a, there's, it's not a flashy thing that we saw a few good blocks in, in 2019. He knows how to do it. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. And you don't see that in a lot of receivers coming out of draft classes now. Um, So he's unique. He's unique in that aspect. So basically, he has the foundation of he's going to find himself on the field in a lot of situations because of his ability to block, like you mentioned. So anything he adds um, as a receiver moving forward, and if he improves significantly, we could be talking about a really impressive player here within the next two to three years. Yeah, I, I like him as the as a receiver who can improve a lot. I mean, I, I like Brown that way too, I guess. But but Boykin to me, along with Ferguson on the defense, are the two players who should spend this offseason investing in themselves as football players. Jackson did it last year, tremendously valuable. Ryan Jensen did it before his last year in Baltimore, got paid off handsomely for it. You know, we need somebody to to step forward out of this class. It could be Ferguson, could be Boykin, could be both, ideally to really take a step forward in terms of positional skills. And you mentioned it, but I think the Boykin thing that he needs to do is run a higher percentage of that route tree, is be able to make his presence felt over the middle of the field as well as on the outside, Uh, probably learn some better moves at the line of scrimmage to not only beat press coverage, but to double move uh, some smaller guys and put put distance between them, and then actually his size will be a tremendous benefit in terms of the catch radius if he's open a little. So I just I really like him as a receiver. I like him as a guy who can move forward and, and be a better player than he was in 2019. Yeah, I completely agree. And the most encouraging thing to me, at least, um, in addition to the blocking skills that he showed, the two main attributes that he 
that he had coming out of college were his big playability and his potential in the red zone. And we saw both of that, albeit in a limited sample size. Um, he made big plays down the field. The play that stands out to me is against Seattle. the Seahawks. Yeah, Seattle. When he had the 50-yard catch, um, that was a really nice play. And he had three touchdowns, um, most of which, almost I think all of which were came on off-script plays, if I'm not mistaken, uh, where okay. Jackson rolled out of the pocket and kind of just made something happen, and Boykin was able to find uh, find an open seam. Yeah, two two out of three, I think you're absolutely right on that. So so uh, one of them was kind of a falling down catch in the end zone on the right side versus the Jets that I think it, it was probably on script. But basically, Jackson created that throwing angle. That was the off script part of it. Right. Um, and, and and that was a good, good thing. The touchdown against Miami, I still claim was people might call it back shoulder is not really exactly right. He threw up a ball that he knew Boykin was the only one who's going to have a chance to react to because he saw two backs as he was falling away of the two defenders, Mika Fitzpatrick, and I forget it was Rowe or whoever else was it is in the end zone. But he, he threw the ball up there, and, and Boykin easily got there. There's no one anywhere near him, which seemed like the, the Cleveland touchdown was a scripted play, and that was an unbelievably well-scripted play by Roman where he actually snuck through two defenders in terms of, of rubbing them off and, uh, and and right around Ravens receivers, obviously, you know, that's the rubbing action. But he turned for the football and it was there. That tells me it was scripted in exactly that manner, that 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 it wasn't a, uh, you know, a play that was uh, uh, something that was just happened in the in the in the course of business there. But uh, he's, he's done a lot of things in the red zone that Ravens, you know, I don't think they need a fade receiver. Not that he couldn't do it. He could. He'd be great for it. But I don't think they need a fade receiver with Jackson. Jackson creates additional passing lanes with his ability to move around the pocket, which is really what you want in the red zone more than red zone receivers. You want a red zone quarterback who can create those lanes for the for the throws. Yeah, and um, good job by you for bringing that up because I knew I knew at least one of the the touchdowns that Boykin caught was quote unquote on script. I just couldn't remember which one, but nevertheless. Um, Boykin showed good instincts in the red zone at times, so you like to see that. And, yeah, I'm not much of a fan of, of the quote-unquote goal-on fade type of receiver. I never really have been. I think it's a bit overrated because, in addition, like you said, to having the quarterback who can, who can succeed in the red zone, I'd rather just have guys who can flat-out get open because the goal-on fade, I don't have the exact you know statistics or whatever in front of me, but I can't imagine it's, it's exactly the most high-percentage play. I'd much rather have crosses and, and plays like that. Um, so, yeah, I don't think Boykin needs to be that player for the Ravens. I think he can be a red zone threat um, in other ways. All right. Great. So you want to talk about Roberts now? Yeah, sure. Uh, you want me to go ahead and start it off again? Absolutely. Right. So Roberts um, was the oldest player of the bunch. Um, after Willis Need. he was really the, the veteran here. And it was a low-risk potentially high reward move, I guess, for the Ravens to bring him in on a one-year deal on the offseason. And expectations weren't very high um, from myself and from almost everyone. Um, he ranked six on the team in targets and in touchdown receptions. Uh, he was seventh in receptions total with 21, although he was third on the team in yards per catch with 12.9. So do with that uh, what you please. But outside of his performance against the Jets in Week 15, when he caught the uh, the 33-yard highlight touchdown pass from Lamar. He really didn't do all that much throughout the season, at least from a receiver standpoint, to stand out or 
you know, make his case to uh, to stick around here next year or long term or what have you. Um, and a lot of fans are going to remember or what they're going to remember most about mm-hmm. his tenure is, and you hate to bring it up, but against the Titans in the playoffs, he obviously had the dropped pass from Lamar, which was an absolute dime, which might have been a touchdown had he hung on to it. And from there on out, it was just, okay, you know, this is kind of who Roberts is. You know, he's a good veteran presence, so to speak. And he's obviously a decent blocker um, in the mold of working and Sneed. But what does he do other than that that, uh, that really separates himself from the bunch? That's kind of where I came at it. And I gave him a C letter grade uh, for the season. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, I don't have a lot to say different about that. I mean, Roberts had some individual plays that were that are pretty good for the year. His overall 60% catch rate is not what you want out of a receiver, uh, not what you want out of anybody who's trying to catch the football. Obviously, you wouldn't accept that completion percentage from a quarterback, but you, you really can't have it on a, on a guy who's running a lot of shorter and intermediate routes because that's, you know, that's just not good enough. Uh, so anyway, I think, generally speaking, he's a good special teams player. He's more of the mold of the typical wide receiver at 6'2", 195. A lot, you know, when he came here and the Ravens didn't know who their outside receivers were, Ravens didn't have anybody else who looked like an outside receiver before the draft came along. And then they picked up Boykin and Brown. Well, good thing. But Roberts, who'd been a, a slot receiver in Oakland, would, was one of the guys who looked like he might be an outside receiver here. And they did use him some in that role. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's he's a, a just another guy. Uh, and uh, be careful of the reverb here as we as we move on, Frank. We just have to work through some technical issues, guys. But uh, we we uh, we do need to uh, have a receiver. I think they can give a little bit more than that. Roberts, I, I imagine he'll probably still be around with the Ravens for this next year. They'll probably draft a receiver or find a, a younger the guy that they like. But I would expect that that he's the guy who would be expendable if they wanted to bring in a second rookie receiver this year. Yeah, I mean, he's not flashy by any means. He's not someone who you necessarily don't want uh, in the receiver room, but at the same time, um, he's not somebody that you're going to want to rely on for for production in a big moment or just uh, overall week in and week out. All righty. So that pretty well takes us through the wide receivers. Now, uh, we, there are two other guys we need to talk about here, though. I'm not sure where they end up next year. Chris Moore is an unrestricted free agent, and his playing time, his time on the field just greatly reduced this season. Yeah, I didn't even um, – so when I was doing the uh, – writing the article up, there was two players, the same two I imagine we're thinking of, that I just – gave incomplete grades to and decided not to write any analysis about, which is Chris Moore, obviously, and then the other one being Jaleel Scott. Two guys that basically did not play for, not really do much as a receiver the entire season. And Chris Moore was mildly disappointing, I guess, this season, (laughs) um, to put it the least, because just because a lot of people, not myself included, thought that he might actually step up and become a productive receiver for the Ravens on the outside or in the slot or what have you. Um, and the opportunity was there originally. There was a small window for him to kind of emerge um, in that number two or three receiver role. And he just it just never mounted. And he, once again, didn't really offer much as, as a receiver. Still decent on special teams, but I'm not really sure. I'm pretty confident that he doesn't fit into the plans moving forward. 
Yeah, if they did re-sign him, it would be as a, on a special teams deal. There were two things about about the early season look of Moore, or his look at camp, I'll say, that said to me that he might be part of the offense in 2019. Number one was he was having a big flashy camp in terms of catches. That's always good. You always want him to have a connection with the quarterbacks involved there, so that's great. Number two, which was more important, was the previous season he caught 19 out of 25 balls. Well, a lot of that, those were bad ball catches where he helped Jackson out by reaching for balls that would be outside of the normal catch radius. I'm thinking specifically of a ball he reached back for against Cincinnati, which was which was way out of his catch range or, or of a normal catch radius, I'll say. That kind of thing matched up with Jackson and who we thought, you know, that Lamar Jackson was going to be coming into 2019. Right. I thought would be a great matchup. Bad ball catcher and and a guy who has a tendency to to throw needing a fairly large catch radius. So anyway, it seemed like that would work. And then by midseason, of course, he's not getting playing time. He got pissed off with Harbaugh at some point, and they had a little altercation about uh, you know what had gone on. And you know, targeted only five times the whole year for four point two yards per target. That's not what Chris Moore had envisioned in his contract year yeah and if i'm not mistaken i believe him and harbaugh had a little bit of a a verbal disagreement in practice yeah not exactly sure when that was but that did happen right yeah that's that's what i was referring to is is mid to late in the year after after he hadn't gotten any real target well okay he had all five of his targets before the bye week seven against seattle was his last target he didn't have any targets the remainder of the year and and it was during that time at some point where they had it. And I think it was sometime after week nine, maybe where he hadn't been part of the offense through the new England game because he sat out weeks 10 and 11. He didn't, uh, he didn't even dress for those games. Right, so he yeah. must, that must've been upsetting at, at, uh, at that point, I would think. Yeah. And I can get why, why any player in that situation would be frustrated. Obviously you want to contribute as a receiver and show what you can do. But at the same time, I mean, he had several seasons to do just that. And, the only way I, I see him coming back is obviously it would be a sh- not really a long-term, a short-term cheap deal, and he'd have to accept the fact that he's really just going to be a special teams contributor because there wasn't a role for him as a receiver this year, and that's that's not going to change moving forward. Right, well, the Ravens could do that. I guess they could do it two ways. You can have one year at the minimum. The Ravens tend to favor getting guys for two years for special teams. So with Levine and McClellan and players like that, uh, they've tried to get him for two years and sign him for about a million two to a million five per year kind of thing. So it's, it's not too much above the minimum, but but they know they're going to get value on special teams. And I think Moore does meet the standard there that he could step in as an emergency to be your be your third receiver, say, if if you had people go down during a game uh, and, and then he'd provide you that special teams presence. That is a that is a place where the Ravens are weak. And, right. uh, you know, with, with all the things that went wrong, Moore still had the great play against the Titans to, to stop the ball at the one-yard line and, and give the Ravens a chance to get back in it at that point. Yeah, it's a good point. And he obviously does bring value on special teams. He always has. I mean, there's a reason he developed the nickname Scoop and Score Moore, yeah. which a lot of people don't really call him anymore. But still, the point remains. Um, it's just a matter of, are other teams going to target him maybe with seeing potential, seeing his potential as a receiver or, or how's that going to play out? But if the Ravens did bring him back on a one to two year deal, um, like the details you mentioned, uh, it's low risk, 
there's not really any risk involved, but at the same time, you know, it is what it is. It's not nothing to be too excited about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, one of the things, and this really relates to the next player is Jaleel Scott, is that the team has to consistently beat the youth curve. And so Jaleel Scott was a guy that kept around after they basically redshirted him this entire rookie year, right. uh, sent him to IR after an unproductive uh, camp. He really didn't catch anything in, uh, in, in camp. And then in this year, they activated him just a couple of times the whole season. I don't have the exact number in front of me. might have been three games they activated him. And he had just a handful of targets. I think one catch against the Steelers, as it turned out. Now, he played great in, in, in the preseason. Looked like he was that deep threat and a, you know, a, potentially also a red zone threat for the fade in terms of the, the size he has. But now he goes into year three, and all of a sudden he's at that tipping point where he's got a lot less option value than other players, specifically rookies, that he'll be competing with. Yeah, I mean, I've I was a, a Scott. I've been a little bit of a Scott fan uh, over the past two seasons, and it's been disappointing that he really hasn't gotten an opportunity to uh, to kind of prove his worth outside of the preseason in training camp, where he really impressed, like you mentioned. And yeah, I mean, he has all he had all three of his targets against the Steelers. One catch for six yards. What, he, didn't have a, gonna, he didn't have a catch earlier. I thought he had a catch earlier in the league. Uh, you might right. be right, not, but, not, not a catch, a target. I, no, I'm wrong. You're right. It's all against yeah, the Steelers. Just just looking at the game log, I kind of thought the same thing as you, but then I looking at the game log, it turns out that uh that it was only against the Steelers. But the key for Scott, I guess, is what is he going to be able to offer you as a special teams player, right? Because that's the kind of thing that, that the Ravens value, like we mentioned, and that would possibly increase his chances of sticking around, um, especially when comparing him to someone like Chris Moore or, or D'Anthony Thomas or whoever it may be. But I still like Scott's upside and potential as an actual receiver, and I think if you really want to have a diverse receiver room, I don't see why you wouldn't keep Scott around because of his you know, unique athleticism and potential as a red zone threat. But, um, yeah, it's just that's just kind of my perspective on it. What, what, what say you? Uh, well, I guess the position I would come from is they've got four guys who are going to make the team. And they're the four guys you gave grades to. Boykin, Roberts, Sneed, and Brown. Those guys are, are probably going to make it. Now, it, Seth Roberts, his, his position is not etched in stone, but they've, got, they've paid some bonus money to keep him here. He's not a bad special teams player. It seems like he's likely to stay. And then you've got Moore and Scott. If you think about who the Ravens are going to pick up, they're going to have a bunch of rookies in camp who are undrafted. They're going to probably have one draftee at wide receiver, and it might be a fairly high round pick. Not a one, I wouldn't expect, but it could very easily be a two or a three. Yeah. And if that's the case, that guy's obviously making the team. So somebody from Moore and Scott's got to not make it. And then it becomes a case of which one has more value. Does Jaleel Scott have more value because of his potential for growth or does Chris Moore have more value because you don't really have to pay him a lot of money and he still brings a lot of value on special teams. Yeah. So, I mean, regardless of what happens, Scott's going to find himself on the roster bubble for the third straight year heading into, um, as the off season progresses, which is unfortunate, but I do definitely think, I don't see a scenario in which the Ravens don't draft a receiver, at least in the first two to four rounds, somewhere around there. So, like you mentioned, there's going to be four to five roster locks. So it's going to come down to Scott or Moore, or and there's even some some undrafted guys from last year that that impressed at times. Whether it be a Sean Modester or, or Antoine Wesley, 
So between that group, um, we'll have to see how it plays out. But Scott's chances for making the roster next year, at least as it stands right now, probably not too high. But personally, I'm still still cautiously optimistic about his prospects moving forward. All right. Well, appreciate you going through this with us, uh, Frank. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to have you on later later on for the tight ends report. I think that'll be that'll be good too. Probably a little bit shorter in terms of what we need to project for 2020. Well, maybe not, but uh, but a, you know a very solid group certainly that the Ravens have. I appreciate you coming on, Frank. Anything once again? Where can people go to read your work and follow you on Twitter? Yeah, so um, you can find all my stuff over at uh, Baltimore Beatdown. Uh, we're doing some great stuff. Um, myself, Kyle Barber, Bossy Laricos, everyone involved. And be sure to check out our uh, Baltimore Beatdown podcast. Uh, Spencer Schultz and Jake Luke, they do a great job um, with that podcast, the flagship for our site. You can find me at on Twitter at FrankJP. The JP are, are capital letters with the number zero after. And uh, yeah, appreciate you having me on once again and look forward to talking to you soon. All right, Frank, much appreciated. I want to tell other people out there who are listening, if you'd like to do a film study short in particular, I'm very partial to people who do their own studies, their own first principles analysis, looking at film directly, recording information, and taking a look at it. We'd love to talk to you about your work, talk to you about your studies and observations on a film study short this offseason. Uh, just give me a give me a hit on Twitter. I, I Direct messages are open. Take it easy, guys, and we'll catch you on the next film study short. Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.